All right. Yeah, you guys can applaud that. Isn't it awesome to get to be part of a church that exists to connect people to Jesus, that we exist for the people who aren't yet here? That's why God left us on earth. Well, hey, if you're our guest today, I just want to say how honored I am that you've chosen to worship with us online or in person. We're in week two of a series called Some Good News, because we need some good news in this crazy world. And by the way, I just want to mention, this is a really easy series to invite people to, because throughout the week, anytime someone complains to you about something that's wrong, you can say, I know it's terrible, but there's good news. You should come to church with me. Each week of this series, we're actually starting off with some literal good news, and then we get into the reality that Jesus' entire life and ministry is summarized with this word, good news. In fact, that's why Jesus came to planet Earth. In John chapter 3, he says, I came as God to Earth not to condemn you, but to save you. So there's good news. The God who made you loves you. He wants to help you in your life, and he wants to give you eternal life. Well, let's kick off with some literal good news. 100-year-old grandma, Edith Murway Traina, has set the Guinness World Record for oldest professional weightlifter. At age 98 and 94 days, she deadlifted 150 pounds. That's like the weight of a a person. When I'm 98 years old and 94 days, I'm going to be really grateful if I can lift my head off of my pillow. That would be an accomplishment. But Edith Murway Traina has deadlifted 150 pounds and gotten herself in the Guinness Book of World Records. Here's some more good news. Polish Olympian Maria Andrzejewski won the silver medal for throwing the javelin at the Tokyo Olympics. She is herself a cancer survivor, and she learned of a little boy, eight months old, who was in need of a heart surgery. The heart surgery costs $100,000, and so she put her silver medal from the Olympics up for auction with the intent that the money from the medal she would give to this family. Well, a Polish supermarket, because this is in Poland, found out, and they bid $125,000. She gave the money to the family. The boy had the surgery. And then here's a cool ending to that story. The supermarket then gave uh, the silver medal back to Maria. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, we can celebrate that. So here's something interesting I've noticed. The best good news is always in contrast to evil or bad news. That's the most meaningful good news. I mean, even with those two stories that we just looked at, the, the grandma powerlifter, that wouldn't be news if she was 24. It'd be like, okay, a 24-year-old lifted 150 pounds. It's the fact that there's bad news, that as we get older, our bodies get weaker. And eventually, no matter how much money we have or how many resources we have, our bodies will eventually die on planet Earth. That's the bad news. That's what makes this remarkable. And in the same way, if an Olympian said, oh, I need some cash, I'm going to auction off one of my medals so I can, you know, get a new car or whatever, that wouldn't be great news. It's the fact that someone would give up their honor to save the life of someone else who needs their life saving, that's what makes it good news. I wonder in your life, where is there some bad news? Where is there some uncomfortable news that you could use that kind of good news flip? You could use someone or something to come in and turn it around. Another way of asking it is this. Where has life dropped you to your knees? I remember when I was playing basketball in high school, one time a guy got elbowed in the eye, 
And it hurt him so much that he just right away, he just dropped to his knees. And there's times when life does that to us. I don't mean like it drops you to your knees like you're a really good person and you get on your knees and pray. That's good too. But I mean the times when life just sucker punches you and you drop to your knees. I wonder where have things taken a turn for the worse in your life and if God has good news for that area. If God has a way to turn that area around, would you want to know today? Would you want to experience that today? Well, that's what we're studying in this series, because uh, if you're around church enough, you'll hear this word, the gospel, and some Christians are guilty of using it like it's almost another language, and if you're not a churchy person, you're like, what are they even talking about? We've learned in this series that that word literally means good news. And actually, Jesus used that word so much as a summary of his entire ministry that the four books of the Bible that document Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called the Gospels or the Good News. Last week, we looked at a really literal way of translating this, that it means the life message. So anywhere where you're experiencing death, death of a dream, death of a relationship, physical death, Jesus brings life. Anywhere in your life where there's bad news, he offers the ability to bring good news. It applies to sickness. It applies to death. It applies in our workplaces when there's uh, strife or we feel like there's injustice. It applies to politics when we look at the world and we think, who could fix all of this? The good news is that he has a plan to fix all of it. It applies in your broken relationships. Well, two books of the Bible use this word more than any other, and so we're tracing it through one of those, which is the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark starts here in chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to ask you guys, when I get to good news, to say it out loud with me, okay? And uh, the 915, we did this. Last week, you guys were louder than the 915. This week, the 915, they upped it, so the challenge is on, okay? And if you're online, you can do this as well, okay? The beginning of the... Oh my goodness, you guys upped at another level. I'm, I kid you not, I'm monitoring this, okay? I'm going to have to tell the 915 next week. Okay, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? Messiah is this idea of God coming to planet Earth to fix a problem. What's the problem? The problem is that we have been ripped away from God by evil. And we see this around. We see it in war, in terrorism. We see it in racism and in injustice. That there is evil. That humans are capable of great good, but they're also capable of great evil. And God calls that evil sin. And he describes that he built you to live for eternity in a place where there is no evil. But that Satan came into this world, deceived our ancestors, Adam and Eve, and we were ripped away from God. And the only way to get back us reconnected to the source of life and eternal life was for God himself to come to earth as the Messiah. And what the Messiah would do, the ancient prophets all predicted, is that he would pay the penalty for our mistakes and he would reconnect heaven and earth. That's what Jesus came to do and that's why he's called the son of God. Son, fully human like you and me. God, fully God, the one true God who created everything. Well, Jesus talks in verse 14 of this chapter, and he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, I am bringing heaven to earth. So repent, in other words, humble yourself before God. 
acknowledge, God, I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't buy your favor. I'm going to humble myself and acknowledge I need your help in some areas of my life. And I'm going to believe the. Okay, see there, you guys are good. You're on it. You're on it. So here's Jesus' point. The good news is for you. God sees you. God cares about you. He sees the bad news in your life. He sees the broken things in your life. And he came into this world on a mission to reconnect you to himself as a father-child love, but also to repair the things that are broken in your life. So the good news applies at the end of our lives when we breathe our final breath and we know I'm going to heaven, but it also applies in this life. Anytime we face death of a dream, death of a loved one, anytime we face heartache, the good news carries us through. Well, today I want to take you into the true story of Peter. And, and we mentioned last week that this gospel of Mark was written by a young man named John Mark. And we learned a lot about him last week. You can watch that message. Uh, John Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. He was kind of on the next circle out of people following Jesus. But John Mark ended up becoming an assistant to Peter. And Peter was in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And John Mark then wrote Peter's account of Jesus' life. And so the Gospel of Mark is almost like the Gospel of Peter. We're getting most of it from Peter's perspective. And I want to take you into a moment in Jesus' life when Peter gets dropped to his knees by some bad news. And as we go into this story, my hope for you is that wherever life has dropped you, that you will be able to experience the good news in the way that Peter did. That you'll be able to experience Jesus in a new way today. Whether you're just starting out in your faith or you've been at it for decades, God has a word for you in this true story of Peter. Now let me give you the context here. Jesus has just done a miracle where he fed thousands of people. He miraculously multiplied food. And so Peter saw that, and Peter, of course, his belly's full, and he sees Jesus doing this. He's like, this is great. Right after Jesus feeds thousands of people, a blind guy comes up, blind from birth, and Jesus heals him and gives sight to him. And Peter, who has left his family, his career, his home, he's left everything to follow Jesus, Peter is kind of riding high. He's like, this is awesome. They're going from village to village, and when they show up, everyone comes out, and people are like chanting Jesus' name. Jesus is like a celebrity, and Peter's right there with him. Peter is having a great time, and that's where we pick up in Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? Because there was great debate. Uh, the context of this is uh, similar to Indianapolis during the Super Bowl run when we were in the Super Bowl. And, like everyone in Indianapolis and Indiana knows who Peyton Manning is. Everyone's into it. In a similar way, this entire nation, the Jewish people where Peter is born, they have been taught from their childhood that the Messiah is coming. And they're all looking for him, not just one city of Jerusalem, but dozens of cities, 12 tribes, an entire nation. They're all looking for Messiah. And the big question that everyone's asking while Jesus is doing these miracles is, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he God on earth? So the disciples answer in verse 28, and they said, well, some say 
that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah or maybe one of the other prophets of old and like God has brought back from heaven one of the prophets of old. And then Jesus says this in verse 29. He looks his disciples in the eyes and says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? By the way, this is the most important question that you will ever answer in your life. Jesus taught he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father, that is heaven, except through him. Who you believe Jesus is will define your identity, your level of peace, and even your eternal destination. And so Jesus asks them, okay, you told me who all the crowds think I might be. Who do you say that I am? Now, this is not a perfect analogy, but I want to give you a sense of the emotion of this moment. And if you think of the moment when... Uh, a boyfriend and a girlfriend are dating, and they're at that point in life where marriage is a real possibility, and they keep dating, and it's very serious. And the girlfriend kind of knows at some point he's going to pop the question. You know, at some point he's going to ask me to marry him. And so every time they go to a sporting event or to a nice restaurant or out on a boat, she's wondering, like, is, is this it? Is this the moment? Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's very similar that the disciples have left everything to follow Jesus, and they are in their hearts concluding he's not just a prophet, I think he's the Messiah, but they have yet to have the DTR. Do you know what the DTR is? That's the define the relationship. Are we getting married or not? Are we boyfriend, girlfriend or not? Are you the Messiah or not? This is a DTR conversation, and Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter, he's my favorite because he's impulsive. He often makes mistakes. He's got a really good heart. And he blurts out before anyone else can answer, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus, I think even with his body language, Peter knows he's got it right. And I just imagine this. When I think of Peter, he's described so much in the New Testament. I can just see him being like, I told you, James. <laughs> Didn't I tell you, John? I, I knew it. I knew it. Then verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about it. And there's a number of reasons for this. We could do a whole message series on this. But one of the primary reasons was that the Jewish people had this lens of the Messiah that was political and was for them to have a nation kingdom there in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And with how popular Jesus was and the miracles he was doing, um, if all the people said he's the Messiah at the same time, many of them would have picked up weapons and they would have gone and they would have tried to storm Rome. They would have done a physical revolt, a revolution. And Jesus teaches what Peter and the disciples don't expect. I didn't come to bring a political revolution. I came to bring a historical revolution. I didn't come for just one civilization in one century of history, I came for every person who was ever born on every continent, across every century, across every civilization, and my revolution is far bigger than what you expect. Well, at this moment, Peter is just so excited. I mean, his belly's full, he's watching Jesus do miracles with his eyes, and now the DTR has just happened, and it's like he is the Messiah. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 Peter, don't tell anyone. Now, this is not super spiritual, but as I studied this and I thought about Peter, this is the image that came to my mind. If you're not familiar with this actress, Kristen Wiig, 
She plays a character on SNL called Sue the Surprise Lady. This is probably years ago at this point. But Sue the Surprise Lady, what happens is uh, people will walk in and be like, oh, we're about to have a surprise party for so-and-so. And Sue the Surprise Lady, she can never hold it in. As soon as she finds out that there's a surprise party, if the person walks in, she just blurts it out. She can't help herself, and it's kind of a funny sketch. Uh, it's a character she plays over and over again. So in this scene, she's like trying to stuff the secret into her mouth with the pillow before it pops out. And, you know, Peter at this point, this is what he's like. Like, he's just so excited. I've given up everything for Jesus, and he's feeding people, and he's healing people, and he is the Messiah. Like, this is it. This is awesome. Now in verse 31, when Peter's life is like, it doesn't get better than this, he's riding as high as he can, Jesus, of all people, is going to be the one who drops this terrible news on him, that Peter, it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Here's what Jesus says. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's him, Jesus, must suffer many things. Because the Old Testament says that the Messiah will come as the Lamb of God, a sacrificial lamb to be punished in our place, that by his wounds we'd be healed, that his blood would pay the penalty for our transgressions. And so Jesus then says, hey, Peter, um, Messiah means I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And after that, I'm going to rise from the dead. I don't know. I don't want to take you back there emotionally, but I know in my life when I hear really bad news, there's a certain point at which the emotion hits, and I can't hear anything else. It's just kind of like humming. I have this feeling that for Peter, once he heard Jesus say that he was going to be killed, he probably didn't even hear this raised again after three days the first time through. Verse 32, Jesus spoke plainly about this. What does that mean? Well, speaking plainly means Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. I'll give you an example of this. If you go in for surgery and your surgeon has bedside manner, and you're anxious, they will sugarcoat it. And they'll say, well, yeah, you know, we're going to get in there, and we're going to uh, fix you up, and, uh, and we'll, we'll sew you back up, and everything will be good. That's the sugarcoated version, right? If you're like, no, no, tell me what you're actually going to do, and if they speak plainly, they're going to say, well, uh, you know, here's my scalpel. I'm going to slice through your skin, and then, you know, slice through these other parts, and uh, here's my bone saw. This is what it sounds like. I'm going to use this to cut through your bone, right? Like speaking plainly is not comfortable in most situations. And Jesus speaks plainly. He's like, Peter, look at the Old Testament prophets. I have to suffer to pay the price. And as Jesus continues to speak plainly, Peter's like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Um, I don't know what's gotten into you, but we got a good thing going here. In fact, look at verse 32 as it continues. Peter takes Jesus aside. So Peter just agreed, Jesus, you're God, but God, I'm going to take you aside now and rebuke you. But from Peter's perspective, he's like, hey, hey Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. Death, suffering, ee, let's, you know, come on. Like the feeding, remember you fed 4,000 people and they're all singing our praises? Like more of that. Let's do more of that. Jesus, remember the blind guy? I can't remember his name, but like that one was cool. That was cool. Let's do more of that instead of the suffering, the rejection, the killing. I mean, come on, Jesus. Jesus' response, verse 33, Peter has pulled Jesus away from the disciples, and they're watching. 
And Jesus wants the disciples to see his response to Peter. So he turns to them. He's like, guys, listen up. Because I know many of you are thinking the same thing Peter's thinking. I need you all to hear this. And then Jesus says words that for Peter are going to drop him to his knees. A man who loves God. He's trying to do what's right. And his rabbi teacher, his closest friend, who he now knows is almighty God, looks him in the eyes and says, get behind me, Satan. Oh, my goodness. Air sucked out of the room. Just deafening silence. And, and Peter, whether physically or not internally, just like, boom, he has been dropped to his knees. And then Jesus tells him this. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. Peter, but you have merely human concerns. You want your belly to be full. You want to feel great. You want a kingdom that's really good for you, but the plan is so much bigger. I wonder if you can relate to any of this. Or maybe you've started to follow God and you've seen some benefits of following God. And then all of a sudden it seems like God changes the plan on you or life changes the plan on you. Something brings you to your knees and you just have this internal crisis. Like, what am I going to do? Have you ever felt that way? And when you feel that way, what can you do when life drops you to your knees? What can you do when you're confused? What can you do when you've tried to do the right thing and things have gotten worse? What can you do when you're pretty sure what God's plan is, but it's going to hurt? What can you do when you're baffled? What can you do when you're angry? You're just angry at life because it wasn't supposed to go this way. Maybe you're even angry at God because it wasn't supposed to go this way. Well, when bad news brings you to your knees, we're going to learn a number of things. But the first one is this. Ask, what is God concerned with here because Jesus uses this phrase you do not have in mind the concerns of God that that word have in mind it comes from one Greek word franeo means to be thinking about Peter you're not thinking about the work of God in the world you're thinking about human stuff bread and eyesight those things matter but God has a bigger plan Peter and part of the point in this is for us to have the humility to hear from God that he's more concerned with your character than with your comfort. That he's more concerned with your soul, which will live forever, than with your stomach and your appetites, which are temporary. That God is more concerned with your greatness than your easiness. We don't like this, just like Peter. The path to greatness leads through suffering. And Jesus is telling that to Peter. And Peter's saying, whoa, 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 why the suffering? Can't we just have the greatness without the suffering? We all say that <laughs> aloud or in our hearts. I wonder in your present crisis, what might God be doing? And I hope you know uh, I'm a normal guy who has found Jesus you might see me up here and think, boy, every time John goes through something, he must know exactly what God's doing because he's a pastor. There's lots of times where I have no clue what God is doing. And all I can do is just be faithful. Just keep doing the basics and be faithful. But in it, 
you ask yourself, what might God be doing? God, would you reveal to me, what do I need to do to be faithful? And I guess I wonder for you today, what might God be doing around you that's bigger than you? Because Peter's upset at this plan because it's going to be hard for him, but it's going to result in the salvation of nations. It's bigger than Peter, and God's plan in your life is bigger than you. What might God be doing that's actually not about you? I mean, in this moment, Peter's kind of making it about him. And Jesus, we know, is like, he said this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He doesn't want to go to the cross. He doesn't want to suffer. But he knows that's the path to salvation and greatness. And so that's why he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's motives are actually good. Peter wants to help Jesus. He just doesn't understand what's at stake. So that's why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because he knows anything that would keep me from going to the cross no matter how pretty it sounds or how well-intentioned it is, is actually satanic in nature. I wonder, what might God be doing in your life that's actually not about you or that's bigger than you? Or what might God be doing that is in you and for you? Peter's character out of this, eventually he's going to write a book of the Bible called 1 Peter. And he's going to say that when you suffer, don't give up. And he'll be speaking from experience. He'll say that you are like a block of gold that's been dug up out of the earth. And there's dirt and there's grubs and there's all sorts of stuff in it. And that the trials of life are like fires that melt the gold down and it burns up the dirt, the debris, the dross. And it actually purifies your inner person. We give away these life application study Bibles. If you don't have a Bible you love to read, we'll give you one today over at our Connection Corner. We give out about 1,500 of these a year. That's like $50,000 a year that we give away in Bibles because this is your path to the heart of God. So if you don't have a Bible you love to read, grab one at Connection Corner or text the word Bible to us. And in that Bible, here's the study note on this verse about Peter. In this moment, Peter was not considering God's purposes, but only his own natural human desires and feelings. I know that is me most days of the week. That things will happen in life and my initial response isn't typically what might God be doing, but it's how does this affect me? You know, sometimes the best thing is the most uncomfortable thing. That's part of what God is teaching Peter here and teaching us. And I'll give you a physical example of that. In April of 1912, when the Titanic was sinking, if you've never heard, it hit an iceberg and it sank. Supposedly an unsinkable ship. One of the world's wealthiest people, John Jacob Astor IV, was aboard. He had inherited a massive fortune worth $2 billion in today's money. I think that's $200 million times 10, if my math is right. It's a lot of money. He's aboard the Titanic. He's in the presidential suite, the largest luxury suite. The boat hits the iceberg. The captain of the Titanic comes to John Jacob Astor and says, we've hit an iceberg. We're taking on water. I want to personally escort you to the first lifeboat. And the captain does. And John Jacob Astor gets there. The salt water of the Atlantic Ocean is 28 degrees. The waves are big. And he sees this rickety lifeboat swinging back and forth. And he looks back. 
The lights are still on. The band is still playing. And he says, quote, we're safer here than in that little boat. What did he do? He chose present comfort over doing something that was uncomfortable but better. And John Jacob Astor was one of the many people who perished from hypothermia in those waters because he never got on one of the lifeboats. I wonder where in your life do you need to give up the comfort of the Titanic to step into a rickety lifeboat? Sometimes the best thing is the most uncomfortable thing. Now, I'm not saying it's always the most uncomfortable thing. You'll meet some Christians who think it's always, and they're like living in poverty, and their life's miserable, and they're like, unless you're also as miserable as me, you're not spiritual. No, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. His way is a way of freedom. But as we follow him in freedom, there are moments of growth like what Peter had here and like what God will have for you at times in your walk where he calls you to do the most uncomfortable thing because it's the best thing. Where in your life are you maybe resisting an uncomfortable thing that I'm not declaring it's from God, but maybe you haven't even considered might this be from God or might God have some plan in this? Well, back to Peter's rebuke. You remember Jesus says your mindset is not on the kingdom of God, but on your own desires. Now Jesus, he's rebuked Peter in front of his closest friends, the disciples. Verse 34, now Jesus is going to turn to the whole crowd that's following them. Because they've all kind of watched. Okay, Jesus is talking to Peter, the disciples. But all this has been, Jesus isn't projecting his voice out. They're kind of talking like buddies. Now Jesus calls the whole crowd, gather around. You all need to hear this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. This starts at the moment of salvation. Salvation is a gate that's open to everyone, but I imagine it as a very short gate that you have to kneel down to go through it. You have to deny that you can work your way to heaven or you can achieve eternal life or that you're good enough to be the God of your life. You have to deny yourself to receive salvation. And then as you follow Jesus, every day he says, take up your cross and follow me. Lord, what do I need to die to in my own desires today, my own appetites, in order to follow you and be more like you? Now, we read this, take up your cross and follow me, and we live at a time where, get this, there are more buildings with crosses on them in the world than there are Starbucks and McDonald's combined. Think about that. That's a lot of crosses out there. So we're pretty familiar with this word, the cross. But for Peter and the disciples, this is the first time they've ever heard Jesus use this word about himself. This would be like you having a spiritual leader and the spiritual leader saying, hey, take up your electric chair and follow me. This was profound. This was unexpected. This was abrasive. This was almost accosting. I mean, this was not what Peter had in mind at all. He wanted full bellies and great emotional highs. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you live for numero uno, you're going to lose your life. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, that's our same word as the good news. Whoever lays down their life to tell other people that there's a way to heaven, those people are the ones who are going to save their life. 
So Jesus is more or less saying, guys, if you want to go back to the Titanic story, you could say this of the summary of what Jesus taught in the Gospels. All of planet Earth is like the Titanic and it's going down. There's one way to heaven and he provided it. And now he has left us on Earth to get people to the lifeboats. And we're in this awkward position where we're telling people, hey, there's lifeboats. And people are like, what do you mean? The music's still playing. The lights are still on. Why would we get in the lifeboats? And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I gave my life to provide the lifeboats. Now go tell others there's hope beyond this world. There's peace beyond this world. There's eternal life. There's a place where there's no Taliban or Al-Qaeda. There's a place where there's no evil. There's, no, there's a place where everyone is treated with dignity and respect, where there's no crime, where there's no sickness. Tell everyone. And Jesus in Matthew, he'll actually say, whatever you give up to tell other people about the gospel, if you give up houses or you give up family or you give up a career or you sell fields and assets to tell other people, I will repay you 100-fold, Jesus says in the gospel of Matthew. I believe that is a literal promise from Jesus. The sacrifices you make for him here, he will repay in eternity. And Jesus is flipping the paradigm for Peter here. Yes, following me connects you to God, and it gets you in the family of God, and you have all these benefits. But Peter, if you really want to follow me and you want to be close with me, it is a life of serving others in a way that gets them onto the lifeboats. I wonder in your life, what have you ever given up for the gospel. I know I'm in a room where many of you have given up much for the gospel, and I want to encourage you today, don't forget the value of what you've done for the kingdom of God. Others of you, maybe you're in a season where it's been a while since you've really made any kind of uncomfortable sacrifice for the kingdom of God. What have you given up for the kingdom of God? I was at my small group this last Sunday, and one of the things I love about the small group that Mel and I are in is I don't lead it. It might seem weird to you, but there's another couple that leads it, and I, I get to just be in it, just be another brother in the Lord and a dad and a husband and try to keep my mouth shut for most of it and listen. And the couple leading it, I thought this was really significant. Their son uh, plays travel soccer, and his team had made it into the championship game. And the championship game ended up being a tie, which in soccer then uh, is penalty kicks. And their son was at the championship game doing penalty kicks, and they're at their house leading their small group. Now, they love their son, and they spend lots of time with him, so don't worry, they're not neglecting him by any means. But I thought, you know, parents who don't have kids in sports might not get it, but that's a sacrifice, to miss that moment where your son is kicking penalty kicks that might win the whole tournament to be at your small group. That's a sacrifice for the gospel. Have you ever sacrificed a moment for the work of God? Have you ever sacrificed a dollar for the work of God? And Jesus says here, those sacrifices are how you become like me. Well, Peter's head is still spinning. And uh, he's just confused. And we pick up in Mark 9, verse 2, and it says this, after six days, Jesus took Peter. I think this after six days is really significant because sometimes in life, when life drops you to your knees or your head is spinning, or it turns out the plan is way different than you thought, it just takes some time to process that. 
And Jesus takes Peter along with James and John and he leads them up a high mountain. That mountain is still over there in Israel. It's called Mount Hermon where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Transfigured is this moment where Jesus, who's fully God, it's almost like he kind of unzips the zipper where he has put himself in a human body and he opens up a little bit and his God glory starts to shine out and it's almost blinding. And this is a moment that Peter's going to take with him for the rest of his life. And before we unpack that moment, I just want to give you another principle. I gave you one, but here's a second one of what to do when life brings you to your knees. Sometimes you've got to give it some time. I think it's very significant that Jesus didn't take Peter up the mountain and show him his glory the moment Peter was confused. Jesus knew Peter needed about six days to just process that the path to greatness leads through suffering. That was a new thought for Peter. He was going to need a little time for that to soak in. The number six is so significant in scripture. I won't go too deep into this, but if you look at Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Six is often the number of man. Six can be symbolic of your life. What if your entire life on earth is those six days where you've experienced God and then you're a little confused and you haven't seen his glory yet? One of my spiritual leaders in my life has given me this quote, don't doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. There's a lot of times in the dark that I have to cling to that. And what I love about Peter's example is that while his head is spinning and he's confused, for those six days, he doesn't give up on following Jesus. He doesn't quit. He says, I'm confused. I don't understand. But he's still with Jesus. He's still following Jesus. And now God's going to give him an encounter that will stay with him the rest of his life. And that's in verse 3. Jesus' clothes became dazzling white. Uh, the idea in the original language is almost like light shining out of them, whiter than anyone in the world could clean them or bleach them. Verse 4, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Elijah and Moses are spiritual heroes of Peter's. Uh, they're two of the most significant characters in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, if you were to meet a famous person who, who you would get starstruck by, uh, who for you would that be? I know in a room this size, it's anywhere from Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift to Bono or Peyton Manning, or for me, it'd be like C.S. Lewis because I'm a nerd. Or who would you be starstruck by? And for Peter, it is Elijah and Moses, and he gets starstruck. In fact, verse 5, remember, Peter's dictating this to young John Mark. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Like, wow. I mean, here's Jesus, the Messiah, and Elijah, and Moses, and Peter's like a nervous talker. He's just like, this is amazing. You know, let's build houses here. Like, let's just live in this moment. I don't ever want to leave this moment. I love the parenthesis. He didn't know what to say. He was so frightened. He's like, Jesus, I'm here for it. And, and he just starts kind of blabbering. Then verse 7, a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. Now remember, six days ago, Peter got rebuked by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty strong rebuke. Now God the Father is going to rebuke Peter. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Like, Peter, Jesus brought you up here for you to have a moment and restore you. Like, would you be quiet for long enough 
to have this divine moment with God. And once again, Peter, stop just thinking about you. You're like, let's build tabernacles here on Mount Hermon. I mean, I've got Elijah, I've got Moses, I've got Jesus, I've got my two best friends. Like, who cares about anyone else in the world? And once again, God's like, Peter, this plan is, is about everyone else in the world. Now, before we get to the next verse, verse I just want to tell you, it's, it's really the pinnacle of this story and of what God is teaching us today. My favorite verse in this passage, and it's one that I teared up as I read it this last week, because I've been praying for you guys, knowing that you're fighting battles, knowing that you're going through difficult things. And whatever you're going through right now, where you feel like God's far away or you're confused, I just want you to hear this next verse spoken from the word of God to you. Verse eight says this, suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus. I just wonder where in your life do you need this moment that suddenly you look around and you just don't even see anyone else but Jesus? You're lifted up above your appetites and your fears. You're lifted up above the noise of the crowd and you no longer see anyone but Jesus. Where in your life do you need to get your eyes off of your heroes? Where in your life do you need to get your eyes off of your struggles? Where in your life do you need to get your eyes off of the emotions and get to a place again where it's just you and Jesus? When bad news brings you to your knees, you've got to get to that place where you can't see anyone but Jesus. And I know that the very fact that you're here is why you're starting to encounter that right now. You're seeking God today. That's why you're in this room or watching online. You're seeking him. Keep seeking him. And as I studied this, I thought, God, I want this, but I'm not experiencing this as much as I need to. And he just brought to mind that verse where Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Like, what if right now from your heart you just asked God, like, God, I, I want to be in that place where I don't see anyone but you anymore. Would you lift me up above the noise and the appetites and the emotions? Jesus, I just want to see you. Sometimes we have to ask God to get us up above all the noise. And I'll give you one last story that relates to that. It actually goes back to the Titanic in April of 1912. This is John Phillips, went by Jack. He was the radio and telegraph operator on the Titanic. And this is the room that he worked in, had the cutting edge technology of the day called a Marconi wireless telegraph. And what happened is right as the Titanic was approaching that iceberg, it had just come into range where it could send and receive messages from the United States. And the way this worked is that all the wealthy passengers on board, they could pay money to send and receive messages, and this was like a brand new thing. So people are paying money just to do it. Like, hey, did it work? That kind of thing. And so John Jack Phillips is sitting in the radio room, and he's got hundreds of messages coming in and that he needs to send back out. And in that flurry of messages comes a report from a ship 19 miles ahead, entirely stopped, surrounded by ice. This bad news comes in, 
And he literally sends back a message, shut up. It was, it was actually shorthand for the radio operators. He was a bigger ship. And he was saying, stop clogging up the airwaves with your news, little ship. I've got all these important people on board and all these important messages to relay. You know, we live in a life where there's a flurry of information. And whenever some bad news comes into our lives, there's a thousand different ways for us to numb ourselves out and ignore it and not deal with it. But what if God is saying to you, there's ice 19 miles ahead. Slow down and listen. Get up above the noise. Hear my voice for your life. I have a friend who is around my age, was very healthy and recently got COVID. He didn't have to go to the hospital, but he was home and he was the sickest he's ever been. He was texting me during it. Some of his texts were kind of delirious. John, would you pray for me? I've never been this sick before. I feel like I'm going to die. I saw him recently, and he's back on his feet. He doesn't feel quite 100%. I said, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm still pretty weak. My brain's a little foggy. John, I think that was the hardest thing I've ever been through. And I think it was the best thing I've ever been through. I said, what do you mean? He said, I love God more than ever before. I mean, I had nothing but God. He said, John, I've been going to church and even serving, but I haven't been reading my Bible. Like, my love for the word of God is restored. He said, my love for my wife is restored. He said, John, that was the most difficult thing I've been through, but it's what I had to go through. And in it, I connected with God like never before. You know, I imagine Peter who will go on to deny Jesus and then be restored by Jesus and then squabble with Paul the apostle and have one victory after defeat after victory after defeat. As an older man, shortly before he will go to his death to not deny Jesus, talking to young John Mark and saying this, you know, I failed a lot. But any time I would get alone with God, Anytime I would really listen to him, he would give me enough words. He would give me enough vision. He would give me enough patience to keep going to the next season of my life. And I wonder right now where you're at a seasonal change of life or something has flipped on you and you just need to hear from God today. Just stay close to Jesus. Listen to him above all else. Don't tune out what God is doing in the flurry of life. He's got a plan for you. His road to greatness passes through suffering. Don't give up in the suffering. Let me pray for you right now. Father, in this place, I know that you're speaking. Lord, you see where life has brought each of us to our knees in different ways. We're facing the fact that our bodies are aging. We're facing the fact that relationships end. We're facing all sorts of difficulties. And just like Peter, we say, Jesus, wait, wait, wait. More of the miracles, more of the good. And you say to us, take up your cross and follow me. I've placed you on earth to get people in the lifeboats. 
Lord, would you make us faithful like Peter? Would you give us those mountaintop moments that give us enough to keep going and just make that a moment right now for my brothers and sisters? That they know that you're in this with them. That they believe you in the suffering and that they would be faithful in the following. Jesus, we choose greatness over ease. We choose your kingdom over our own. We choose to follow you rather than to follow our desires. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.